0: You know, in the book of Genesis, the Bible makes it very clear the purpose of marriage in the mind of God is to produce the production of godly offspring. Say godly offspring. So you know automatically that whatever a mother and a dad are going to do is going to be involved raising up godly offspring for the glory of God. But you look at this nation right now, and data from the uh, latest Census Bureau shows that 18.5 million children grow up without their fathers. This makes the United States the most fatherless nation in the world. The most blessed nation in the history of the world. The nation with the greatest economy in the history of the world has the most fatherlessness in the world. Approximately 80% of single-parent homes are led by single mothers, therefore leading to nearly 25% of our youth growing up without a father in the home. 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes, and over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers come from homes without fathers. Fatherlessness is often described as epidemic in African American homes and minority homes, but you need to understand that this particular scourge strikes across all demographics. No background is immune from this. You say, why? Because it's a human and a social and a spiritual issue. It is not a racial issue. It is, in truth, an epidemic far exceeding anything we know about COVID or any other problem in this nation. Here are a few more statistics for you. Fatherless sons are 300% more likely to become incarcerated and stay in juvenile institutions. 300% more likely. 63% of teenagers who attempt suicide came from fatherless homes. 71% of children who don't finish high school come from fatherless homes. 90% of our homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. Among the 25 most cited school shootings since Columbine, 75% of the shooters were reared without fathers. Fatherless daughters who marry have a 92% higher divorce rate, And fatherless sons are 38% more likely to experience marital failure. Fatherless daughters are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers. Fatherless daughters are 111% more likely to have children as teenagers. And they are 164% more likely to have an out-of-wedlock birth. And listen to this statistic. 80% of all sitting in prison today grew up in fatherless homes. And we want to blame it on this and blame it on that. The reason that the nation is faced with this problem is a breakdown in the overall biblical worldview of how we are supposed to do things. And the biblical role of the parent and today specifically the father. It turns out that God had it right the whole time. And the emphasis on everything from racism and wokeism and economics and politics, all of that is a screen because what people don't want to do is admit that God is right because then they have to come under His authority, His morality, and His truth. It is a problem in worldview in this nation that is at the heart of the, the issue we're having right now across the country. Malachi 4.6 prophesied... In the end times, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Speaking of reconciliation. Why should we bring that up today? Because that should give us hope that God's not done yet. Amen. And just because this is the reality in this nation today, all it will take is a nationwide revival and it will restore the right place in the home. Yes. Yeah. And the right influence in the home. You've heard this before, Proverbs 22.6. Start children off. On the way they should go, and even when they're old, they'll not turn from it. That promise was held on to by my parents when, for a few years, my sister strayed, you know, from not only honoring God, but honoring her parents. And I know, I remember the pastor of our church, Epiphany Lutheran Church, uh, Reverend Beatty, said this to them You know what? You raised her in the Word, you raised her in the church, she'll be back. Those are powerful words. And so, those of you who have done that deliberately, you hold on to those, the promise of God. But uh, I, it's interesting because you know both mom and dad were involved in holding the line and, and living the standard now. and it's important that you see both of them doing that. Scripture says in, uh, we'll read uh, Colossians uh, three twenty one, fathers do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Paul said the same thing in Ephesians chapter six verse four. Fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord or in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This means to bring them up in a relationship with the Lord and by the instruction of the Lord. This means that we raise up our children in the presence of God and the Word of God and that the Father has a critical role to play to make sure that is done. Todd said it before, none of us can be or claim to be perfect fathers. But we can do our best to honor what the Word of God says about that responsibility and that mandate. We are to raise up our children in the presence of God and in the Word of God. And there is no substitute for a man of God in the home that will take on the role of the priest of that family and make sure that these values are passed down. If we won't do this as Christian men, if we won't stand in the gap and pass on those values, this world's certainly not going to. I think it's clear that right now the devil wants our kids. The devil wants our kids and they're working through every mechanism, through every gate from entertainment to education to the, to the business world to the sports world to tell us what we should believe and what our kids should believe about everything from their identity to their sexuality to their values. All of these things are cemented in a home where you have mom and dad walking with God. And living up to their responsibilities—it's very important you see this. And please don't throw the uh, you know divorce card at me. Even if you are divorced, there's no excuse for mom and dad not to be involved in those children's lives. That's, right. That's a cop out. Yes. You do what you have to do. You fight for the right to influence your child, even in the case of broken relationships. It's possible. Uh, It's critical that we understand that there's just no replacing that anointing that's on a father in that home. And how critical that anointing is in the development of that young child, that young woman, or that young man. Exasperate means to irritate and frustrate intensely. To provoke, to annoy, to excite, or provoke to anger or wrath. To bother, to bug. It's, It's from the Latin word asper, and that means to be rough with. We're not called to be rough with our children, we're called to be nurturing. The opposite of, of exasperate is to, to aid, to assist, to calm, to comfort, to compose, to delight, to please, to make happy, to alleviate the distress and the pressures of life, to soothe, to gladden, and more important than anything else, to provide security for that child. Look at somebody and say, don't exasperate your children. When I think about the role or the anointing for the the dad, the purpose of the dad, I think about two things. And these are critical yet simple things for every dad who is a dad or granddad and every young man that might be sitting here one day you think you're going to be a father. Most of you probably will. The first purpose that you have as a dad is to give your kids roots. The second thing you're supposed to give them is wings. Say it me, roots and wings. Shout it out, roots and wings. Uh, not buffalo wild wings, but wings, amen. And the reality is that you are anointed to do this, men. Say, I am anointed to give my children roots and give them wings. You see, it's not just you're growing up and I'm a male and I have a kid. No, you're a donor of sperm or you're somehow biologically produce the child. No, as a man, you're anointed to do these things. And if you'll just yield to them and step into them, God will use you to do amazing things in your family. The roots refers to the love and the foundation and the truth and the security that you're to provide. When you give them roots, you're giving them something that is stable, abiding. You're the best thing they have to understanding the unconditional love of God, that you're there no matter what. Your foundation is secure, and it's based on the truth of God's Word. You're presenting them and fashioning in them a worldview consistent with Scripture. Um, It's alarming how diabolical the enemy is. It was just a little while ago that somebody who had a different sexual persuasion or orientation would say things like, we just want the same rights as everybody else. That's no longer the case. They want to influence as many people they can to live like that and accept that lifestyle. And I'll just tell you the way it is. If it's wrong for you to beat a child in in a home, it's wrong for you to force a sex change on a child. That same child says, I want to grow to be a fireman, or a doctor, or a police officer, or an astronaut. Well, how many of them actually do? But they're capable at seven years old of making that kind of decision? That is child abuse at the highest order. Yes. And this society may not hold you accountable. Almighty God is going to hold you accountable for completely destroying that child. Yes. And we haven't seen this long enough to see all the data. But the data that's coming out for kids that have been forced into this kind of a lifestyle... They're absolutely destroyed from the inside out. And someone who should have protected them did not. Because their agenda was not roots and wings. It was trying to project onto them what they think they should be or should accept. Can you see, church, how how critical that we have a biblical worldview as our center? Things become simplified when we do. You're to give them dad's roots, love, foundation, and the uncompromised truth. You're also to help them find wings, meaning purpose and passion and call, their destiny, helping them to excel through development, encouragement, and empowerment, to develop fully to their potential. When you're engaged as a dad, your child can have roots and they can have wings. They can have a foundation, they can have the truth, but they can also rise up and do the things that are called to do in this life. We need young men and women to rise up and do what God has called them to do like never before. To invade and influence every gate, every operation going on in this world. And a lot of us see that very clearly because our worldview is intact. But the enemy with the fatherlessness crisis in this country has completely taken away that anointing that would impact these kids to do those very things. So massive numbers of children in this country are growing up without roots and without wings. Many times they'll spend their entire life trying to find that foundation, that stability, that love, that truth. Sometimes going through broken relationship after broken relationship or bed to bed, sometimes they never find it. And the ladies in this room you need to understand that if you are having a child out of wedlock, if for some reason there's a relationship that did not work, that child still needs the influence of that man in that child's life. How much are men second-class citizens when it comes to the development and the rearing of children? We don't have any rights. If you were to have a person become pregnant, that man has no right to say you will not have an abortion. He has no rights over that child that's unborn. In a lot of states, the the state systems and the decisions are are skewed towards female by basis of being female. And I have a problem with that nurturing. I have no problem with that place. At the same time, if the man is cut off, there are certain things that are left undeveloped in that life. The child... Listen, that child deserves for them to know who that father was. We have decades of children who did not know or found out too late. And so certain things weren't done. Thank God we have a heavenly father that knows how to fix us. Amen. Thank God we have a heavenly father that loves us. Amen. Thank God we have a heavenly father that never lied to us or never will lie to us. Oftentimes, kids never get around to soaring or flying because they had no time to develop those wings because they're running around trying to find their sense of purpose and their choices and their directions are based entirely upon not their call, not their purpose, but trying to deal with the lingering effect of a father that wasn't around. Amen. You say, well, I had a beast a father had this and that. Listen... Those are all real stories, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't change the fact that God has anointed the man, amen, to do certain things. And when they're not done, the child does not grow up completely functional. If you don't believe that we need God's Word and His power to transform this situation? We've never needed a revival in this nation more. Let me say it again. The most developed economic nation in the history of the world has the highest rate of no fathers in the home. You can see the strategy of the devil to destroy this nation is to destroy the home and the impact it has on a child's life. Now, here's the deal. Whether you had a nuclear home or not, whether you knew your father or not, whether you knew your mother or not, it didn't change anything. If you know God, God is the great restorer of broken things. And if you allow Him, He'll help you with that. He said He'd never leave you nor forsake you. There are things that we have to do to make a foundation for our kids, and there are things we have to do to help them soar and help them fly. I just think about some of the things. You know, the tough thing about being the pastor's kid is the pastor has lots of stories that involve the pastor's kid. And uh, since I, I only have one, that's uniquely problematic for him. Amen. Because then he gets all the attention. Amen. Taught him how to throw a baseball. He never broke a window though. Good friend. I broke mom's car mirror. You broke mom's car mirror. That's okay. Man. I I I backed in your car after telling you that I wouldn't back into your car. Amen. So, right after you got it. So. I not just taught him about baseball, I taught him what baseball team he should cheer for. (laughs) And I'll give you a tip. It's not the Cubs. (laughs) Taught him how to ride a bike. That was fun. I thank the Lord every day that we lived on a cul-de-sac when that came up. And then he advanced to an electric scooter that he got for, you know, around 10 years old. And uh, he got real proficient with that thing. And, of course, we lived right near, uh, you know, stories off of, uh, you know, off of Shady Lane there and real close to that grocery store. So, so one day he wanted to ride. And I said, okay, go up and get some bacon and get some, uh, get some uh, cinnamon rolls and uh, we'll make some breakfast. And he did. And, and I was, uh, you know, optimistic about his ability to do that. Kelly never paid in tongues so much in her entire life as that <laughs> day. <laughs> but he came back, scooter intact, amen. Yes, he did. Taught him how to swim. What would you do, Pastor, with your stove in the water and make him go at it? That was, it was a little more deliberate than that. But the first time he went to Disney World, he was, what, five, six years old? Something like that. And uh, he was learning how to swim, and uh, he was learning how to tread water. So I had him in the pool there at the hotel, and I said, you, you tread water for two whole minutes, and I'll give you $100. You know what he did? Water? Two, 210, Two, two ten, 230. <laughs> He sure did. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I incentivized him with a $100 bill. Mom taught him how to use the potty and uh, incentivized him with (laughs) M&Ms. Called it the special candy. There's a potty chair in our house and you know the special candy is still in that pot? It's still sitting there after all these years. Amen. (laughs) Taught him how to believe And live for God, which is most important. Taught him how to sow and reap. Uh, My favorite story is when he uh, invested and sowed some toys into some lives of other kids, and he was believing God for a bass guitar, and two of them showed up. One from Virginia Beach and one from Texas. Does it work? Does it work? Does sowing and and reaping work? Yes, it does. Amen. Taught him how to lead and manage. And how I mean, you know, you can give him a big hand clap. He's a blessing to this ministry, isn't he not? I said, uh, I told him one time, I said, your Lord has instructed me to, to train you and teach you everything I know about ministry, both practical as well as the spiritual. And uh, I said, uh, we're going we're gonna to renovate the domes over there. He says, that's great. He's going to lead the project. I said, you are. And didn't do a great job? Amen. He said, yeah, praise the Lord. He was 14 years old when we started the church in Paris. And uh, nobody was moving, so he just started barking out orders about what to do with the trailer to get everything off. And 14 years old. He takes after his grandma. (laughs) 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 Amen. Taught him how to preach and flow in the Holy Ghost. It's, It's so important that we're word people and what? People of the Spirit. It's just some examples of things that uh, that we can do to give that foundation and to give that person the sense that they can do whatever God's called them to do. You know, um, discipline's involved as well. I'll give you one guess as to who the main disciplinarian became. Um, Kelly tried to spank him a couple times. How many you know that when you spank a child and the child turns around laughing, it's probably not working. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't laugh when I spanked though. One <laughs> well, time we're coming back from Baducah, we had a van at that time, and uh, he was getting in the van, and he flipped the safety switch off the inside of the door. And about, uh, about around harden or so, he uh, opened up that door, we're going 55 miles an hour, he opened up that door, And I pulled over and closed the door, and I just looked at him, and I said, when you get home, there'll be a price to pay for this. And you know what he did? He stared at me through that rearview mirror the whole way home. (laughs) And I know what he was thinking and praying. I hope he forgets. I hope he forgets. I hope he forgets. But I was always a follower of Dr. Dobson's principle that if a child is doing something that either is a direct rebellion or defiance to authority, or they're doing something that will hurt themselves or someone else, they should be spake. Now, if you have been taught you just use your words, well, then you will benefit from violating Scripture. I didn't say abuse your child. Because every time I run into a set of parents where these kids have no respect for authority, most of them have that in common. What did I say about worldview? You're either going to go totally in with God's worldview, or you're going to be sucked in by the world and how you do things. And so he, he, all I can tell you is that he felt that one. <laughs> Amen. Because that's part of it, isn't it? Yes, it is. Amen. told him how to confront his fear, although there are some interesting stories that go with that. I'll tell you the story because my dad told him before he passed on that this was his uh, favorite story and one of his favorite trips of all time, but He and I flew out to Phoenix, got in the car with Mom and Dad, and then we drove to Williams, Arizona, and uh, stayed in a hotel. The next day, we're going to get on a train to go see the Grand Canyon. Before you get on the train, there's a little amphitheater and a little play that they put on. There's a bunch of outlaws, and the theme of the entire play is, some point in time, during this trip to the Grand Canyon, that train's going to get robbed. And so... um, you know, we uh, we went there, and, and as soon as they saw Timothy, they they eyeballed him as if they're going to make him part of the play, and it's obvious why because he had a uh, he had a U.S. Marshal hat on, he had a gun belt on, and he had a badge, and he had boots. He was he was good to go, and so um, we get on the train, and all he can think about is what he saw back there at the start of the trip. And um, about midway through the trip up to the Grand Canyon, all of a sudden the uh, train begins to stop. (laughs) And up ride about seven, eight riders. And out of all the cars on the train, guess where they stop? They stop at our train. And the lead outlaw gets out and he boards the train. About that time, Timothy looks at me and he looks at him, he looks at me, he looks at him. He slowly takes his hat off takes the gun belt off of the badge and shoves them into the brim of the hat. And he goes, here, dad, you hold on to these. (laughs) In other words, you get shot, that's okay. (laughs) He loves when I tell this story. So the guy comes back, you know, he's got chaps on, he's got a big, long outlaw coat. He just kind of just flashes it back like that. His... His his coat and his gun is showing. He goes all the way back. Guess where he comes? He goes all the way back to us. He looks at Timothy and goes, You some kind of a law man. Dad's favorite story. Mine too. Amen. Praise the Lord. I appreciate the fact that uh, you wanted me to take a hit for you that day. That's what Dad should do. Praise the Lord. Amen. (laughs) He's been taught that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. That anything is possible. But that has to be tempered with the reality that it's God's will that matters. There are a lot of parents that grow up and they say things like, well, kid, you can do anything, anything you want. A Christian parent should say, you can do anything you want as long as it's God's will for your life. That's the caveat. When a parent says otherwise, they're not sowing the right seed into that child's life. What I have talked about many times, though, is how critical it is that your child learns how to hear from God and how that is modeled. He was at his senior year at Callaway, and um, the Believers' Convention that year was starting uh, the week the school starts. So he could either go to Believers' Convention or he could either go to his first week of senior year. Now, the average parent automatically would say, well, that's right, school is more important than anything. And that's where you're wrong. Nothing is more important than child spiritual welfare and development. And I kept having this impression for for weeks and weeks and weeks, even though that conflict was there a schedule, that he needed to be in that service. He needed to be that week at the youth camp. And so I thought, yep, we're just going to pull you out, and you'll just make up the work. It won't be a big deal as far as getting it done, because, you know, you're sharp, you can handle it. Um, And took him to this on on basically a, a religious trip, And Monday goes by, Tuesday goes by, Wednesdays go by, and Thursday goes by. And I noticed that Thursday, the kids are being held a little bit later while the adult service is over in Tarrant County Convention Center, Fort Worth Convention Center. The kids are in the new part of the convention center. And uh, he he comes out telling me this story, and you can just see it for yourself, pulling him out because the Holy Ghost wanted him. God had a divine appointment for him in Fort Worth. It was critical there's So you can see this for yourself thanks guys there's
1: peace thank you jesus in your presence most thank you jesus young man right here look at me what's your name Tim, I've met you before. This is what the Lord's saying to me about you, Tim. There's a call on your life, and you're called to ministry. You're called to open your mouth and let it be filled with God's words. When the rest of the world is so entertained and distracted by their own words, your mouth will be filled with His words. The words that you find in his book and the words that he speaks in your spirit. And when you open your mouth, lives will be changed. When you open your mouth, bodies will be healed. When you open your mouth, eyes will come open. When you open your mouth, ears will come open. And people will say, I've never seen that before. I've never heard that before. Where'd you get that? They'll say, where's that, where'd that come from? I've never heard anything like that. And you'll say, this is inspiration of the Holy Ghost. This is is the God I love. This is the God I serve. This is the God who called me. And men will see your good works, like Jesus said, and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. But it's gonna take a whole new level of yielding. And I have a sense that the Lord is absolutely so pleased with what's been in your heart for Him. You've just put a smile on His face, man, with your willingness. You've put a smile on His face with the attitude that you brought into this meeting. What I'm asking you to do is in your own time say, Holy Ghost, help me to yield even more. You know what it means to yield? Do you know that word D-drive? Do you, you have a license? Okay, so when you come to a yield sign and there's a bunch of cars coming, what do you what do? You do? you slow down or you even stop and there's a whole other level of yielding that that most people are not familiar with again they're distracted by what interests them they're distracted by what by what seems so important and it's worthless if you come up to that level of yielding which is not hard it actually has everything to do with this resting that I'm talking about. You get yourself still and let Him begin to work. Not you work, Him work. Not you try, Him develop it in you. And you, be, you come still in His presence. And you say, Lord, I will make a move until I see you do it. You remember Jesus said that? I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. You remember that? You need to study that verse because He didn't say that He didn't add to that and only I can do that because I'm Jesus. The reason he said that and the reason he said everything that he did was for an example for you. Not so that you look at it and go, wow, wish we could do that. It's so you look at it and go, that's what I'm going to do. So you you can come to a place where you come up to that higher level of yielding in him and you say, Lord, I'm not doing anything until I see you do it. And until I see you do it, I'm going to sit right here. You can do this, God, I'm not gonna say anything until I hear you say it, just like Jesus did. And what will happen, you can actually close your eyes on the outside and open the ones on the inside and you'll begin to to develop this picture and you will actually see yourself laying hands on the sick. And what'll start to happen is when you get quiet enough at the beginning of a day or the end of a day, whatever it is, you get quiet enough, the Lord will start showing you the next day. The Lord's going to start showing you the next day. Man, I said all that to get right here. I I hadn't thought this up. This isn't me, man. This is the Lord speaking to you. Are you receiving this? He's going to start showing you the next day. In other words, on Monday, you're going to start seeing what Tuesday looks like. I don't mean every detail and, oh, there's going to be a red car that passes here and, oh, the wind is going to be out of this. Significant stuff. There'll there'll come a time where on, on a Monday, you'll see yourself in, a, in your bank or, or, or in the place you work, and you'll see somebody come to you and they'll have a, a sickness or they'll have a, 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 something in their body that's not right, and you'll see yourself pray for them, you'll see yourself lay hands on them, and you'll see them healed. And when you see that, say, okay, Lord, I, I see you telling me to do that. I'll be watching. Everybody say that. Say, I'll be watching. I'll be, watching. I'll be, listening. I'll be listening. Does that bear witness in your heart? Does that sound like something you've thought along those lines before? Well, man, just take that and chew on it. You ever stuck a piece of steak in your mouth that you just had to chew and, chew and chew and chew and chew, and that sucker just would not go down? Just chew on that. Just chew on it and let it develop on the inside. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just worship the Lord. Just worship the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Go ahead.
0: You know, the, the point is just very, very simple that uh, oftentimes as parents, we've got a thousand different things that seem to be important. But I can tell you there's nothing that went on at Callaway County High School that week. that was more, you know, life-changing than what he received. And that's Brother Copeland's grandson, Jeremy Pearson's in the full-time ministry. Um All the years I've been associated with and and appreciative of those ministries, I've never seen someone take so much time to speak into somebody's life. It was pivotal. And so when you hear me say things like this, parents, uh, you know, you think it's more important for your kid to be in that sport, that activity, rather than being spiritual meetings in youth camp and kids camp, you're making an astronomical mistake with your children. You need to take advantage of every opportunity to expose them to situations just like this, because one word from God can change their life Amen. forever. Amen. Amen. As a parent, you have a great position of responsibility. Dad, you have a great you know responsibility to give them roots and wings, and and ultimately that authority carries through every aspect of their life, including education. To stay involved, to be you know that influence, and be their defender and. And help them and their support. I remember uh, when he was just a little guy, about, uh, isn't this fun to be the pastor's kid today? Praise the Lord. About uh, first grade, if I say first grade, first grade in August, I got a contact from a teacher saying that we think that he should be held back at the end of the year. And I'm saying to myself, it's August. How can you make an assessment about a child's performance in August? And it wasn't just one. There were seven kids, seven all boys in that one class. And I said, well, this is what your professional opinion is? Yes. I said, well, we don't agree with that opinion. Well, you're the parent. You can do what you want. I said, I'm glad you realized that. Because a lot of people around the country have forgotten that the kids are our responsibility, not the state's responsibility. They're our charge, not the state's charge. And um, so then I get a call from the principal. And uh, the principal has a PhD in secondary education administration, running schools. And in her case, to be honest with you, the PhD stands for piled higher and deeper. <laughs> and she said, uh, well, this is what we think you should do. And I said, let me get this straight. First of all, it's, it's August, September. And this is your decision. I said... Is, it, is a 1950s remedy the only thing you can come up with? And she said, well, isn't it true that you just don't want to see him back because of the pride of you and your wife? And then the dorification process set in. Doris began to rise up on the inside of me. And I said... Is it possible that you're holding seven boys from one class back to pad your CAT scores? She did not clap. (laughs) She did not clap. She said, well, you can do what you want. He can either be at the bottom of his class or the top of the next class. And I said, I don't really care as long as he does his best. And then this prophecy came out of my mouth. I said, but he will be in his class and he will be at the top of his class. That's the last conversation I had with her. We take him to uh, get his eyes checked to find out he has the optic nerve as a first grader the size of an adult. And this caused the inability to even see like the chalkboard from the first seat. So in open up a book, you can't really see even the words without corrective lenses. The Lord revealed that. And then as a dad, worked with him daily, several times a week, uh, you know, with his phonics and, and with recognition of words and letters. And we just held on to what we believed the Lord would say over his life and watched him. once that came, once that piece of pivotal information came, look at somebody and say, you parents need to be involved. Come on, say it. Daddies need to be involved. Uh, he just continued to excel. So that same year, 2011, his graduation, he was one of the valedictorians at Calvary County High School in his class. What God prophetically said came to pass. Amen. Amen. Come on, say it with me. Say it. Roots and wings. There's an anointing on dads to do that. My mom, being mom, said you should send that lady an invitation to his graduation. I'm just letting you know that uh, where the world has minimized and scoffed and ridiculed the role of fathers in this nation, you are more necessary and critical than ever before. Can you receive that today? Come on, give him a big hand clap and thank him for it.